been read to us a few minutes ago. We're diverting a little bit from our Sunday morning series on the people of Acts because it's our anniversary Sunday, and I thought this would be a good text for us to look at. And you'll notice in the first verse of this text that the words that describe our Lord Jesus Christ are what? The meekness and gentleness of Christ. What a beautiful expression of our Lord, and ought to be an expression of us, too. But it's kind of interesting that we have this mixture of terms, because down in verse 4, we talk about the weapons of our warfare. So how can you, be, uh, how can you have meekness and gentleness, and yet have the weapons of your warfare? But Paul knows how to do it, and we need to know how to do it, too. This is the kind of warfare that we're involved in. So it's Anniversary Sunday. Our church is uh, celebrating five years. That's not a long time, of course, in church life, but the Lord has been good to us. Uh, like everywhere, uh, you have ups and downs. We've had uh, worship, ministry, building things, people things, heartaches and blessings uh, throughout just five short years. So why this passage? Well, you know, Sometimes it's easy for a church to take their eyes off the goal, to take their eyes off where God wants them to go. As a matter of fact, look over at verse 12 of, of our chapter, where Paul says, we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. We have seen in our lifetime, no doubt, what many writers today are calling the success syndrome. You know, is that why we're here, just to be successful? Is that why we're here, just to be the biggest and the best, or something like that? Uh, no. Uh, we are here to uh, be a part of this ministry and a part of this warfare that we have uh, while we're on this earth. Ministry uh, is the whole Christian life. It's what we do. It's who we are. And Christian life is church life. You know, when you think of the New Testament and you say, okay, this is the description of believers in the age of grace in this New Testament, you can't pay attention to the New Testament without reading the epistles. And what are the epistles? They are letters to churches. This is what church people do. This is who we are. Uh, we are the people of God gathered together in various different uh, locations and local churches to do ministry and to do uh, church life. And so, like in a war, there are ups and downs. In a war, you may win a battle, but you could lose the war. Or often you, you lose a battle here and there, but you win the war. And in our walk with God, there will be ups and downs. There will be battles that we win and battles that we lose. You personally will go through that in your life, the ups and downs. But in the end, we will win. In the end, we know who wins. We know who our captain is. And so we're looking at that ongoing ministry. I hope that this will encourage us as a church and those of you who are visiting and family, uh, we're glad that you're here. We hope that you share uh, this challenge with us, that we may then be the church that God wants us to be as long as we're on this earth, as long as you're part of it, as long as God gives you breath, uh, this is your ministry too. We're all in this together. Now, I want you to go down to verse 3, and I'm glad that Gordon uh, let me know that 
you in the adult class should know a couple things about this, and I'm going to add a couple of our weapons as we go along. But I want you to notice verse 3 as Paul uh, introduces us to these weapons. Though we walk in the flesh. Now, you know, if you read that and nothing else, you might say, what do you mean, Paul? We shouldn't be in the flesh, should we? You know, when somebody gets carnal and somebody sins and you say, oh, well, they got in the flesh, so to speak. You know what we say? But that's obviously not what Paul's talking about here, is it? Uh, he's not encouraging us to go walk carnally, walk in the flesh. He obviously means here, we're human. <laughs> we, we live in bodies. We, we live this life and breathe and we have blood flowing in our veins and we suffer the things that human beings suffer. We're mortal. So though we're mortal, he says, though we walk around in the flesh on this earth as human beings, he says what after that? We do not war after the flesh or, as it was read, according to the flesh. In other words, though we're human and though we're mortal and though we're, we're people walking around on this earth, you and I as, as can I say, soldiers of Christ... We don't, we don't actually have swords and then go out from our church and fight people with actual swords. That's not the kind of warfare we do. Now, that warfare takes place in our world, and the Bible does not say that a believer can't be a soldier, a policeman, a, 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 or some type of a, involved in, in a righteous warfare and so forth. That's fine. But that's not the job of the church. It's the job of government. It's the job of things that go on there. Our, what we do, what our war is, is different than, than swords and guns and tanks and airplanes and things like that. And if the church does get involved in that, I think they've veered from uh, what God is wanting them to do. And so we don't war after the flesh, but notice verse 4, the weapons of our warfare. <laughs> there is a warfare, and we do have weapons, but they're not carnal. Or the word is flesh. Sarks means just flesh. Like they're not the fleshly ones. They're not, again, an actual sword, an actual gun, or something like that. Our weapons are far different. If we think that we are fighting the war that we're supposed to be in by going back to fleshly, earthly, carnal things, then we will be wrong. Not even brick and mortar. <laughs> but our weapons and our warfare are not carnal. So I want to look at this for a minute. And the four thoughts that I have in your bulletin for you to follow, uh, I've, I need to take you down a different path if you want to turn with me to these passages and read some verses that, you, that will be familiar to you. The first was, is in Ephesians 6, and I'm going to repeat what Gordon said a minute ago. We have some weapons, and I want, I want you to look at these weapons and consider what they are for a minute. Now, in Ephesians 6, verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Let me stop and say, the word, the word weapon in our text in 2 Corinthians is pronounced hopla. I say that for a purpose. Hopla became the description of a soldier, and, and Paul is describing him here in Ephesians, and the Roman soldiers were called hoplites. Hoplites. I have a hard time with that name. It sounds like a lightning bug to me or something, but hoplites. 
but that's because they were men with, with, with uh, armor on. And so in one place, it's translated weapons, but, in, but here it's translated in verse 11, armor. Put on the whole hoplite. Put on the whole, all of your weapons. Because we, don't stand, because we do stand against the wiles of the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, Paul's saying it again, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. What good would it do you to go, pick, go home and get your, your 357 Smith & Wesson and go try to fight principalities and powers? <laughs> That's not what we do. That's not our battle. But, but let me tell you something. Guns and tanks and airplanes and the rest could not harm principalities and powers. This is a total different type of warfare and stronger even than what the people of this world fight. Now, you know then that uh, of all the defensive weapons that Paul described, defensive armor that Paul describes here, there's one offensive weapon, and that is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which... Gordon told us a minute ago. Now, that sword of the Spirit is, is one of our weapons, the Word of God, the Bible. Go with me now a little farther to your right to Hebrews chapter 4, another familiar verse in 12 and 13, where now the writer of Hebrews will tell us a little about what does this weapon of ours do? What does it do? Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is quick. It, that, that means living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Now notice, what, is, what does this weapon of ours do? Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. I don't think you can pick up your real sword and divide a soul and a spirit with it. It takes something sharper and something more powerful. The joints and marrow is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Our weapons are so powerful and so mighty that they separate thoughts and intents. A different kind of warfare, isn't it? It is. And then he says in verse 13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. All things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. When God gets through attacking a person with these weapons, that person is totally laid open before God. Everything that you are, everything that you think, everything you've done is open before God. That takes a special kind of weapon. And I would also read Psalm 19, whether you turn there or not, but you remember the heavens declare the glory of God and so forth. And then when he when he likens God's x-ray vision to the sun that comes up in the sky and there's nothing hid from the heat thereof. But remember these words, he says, the law of the Lord is perfect. And what's the phrase? Converting the soul. Do you know that a person has never become converted by the civil government or by the church holding a sword in front of him and saying, you must be converted. When somebody says, don't force your religion upon me, we're fine with that because there's no way you can do it. It takes the word of God. The law of the Lord is what is perfect and converts the soul. A totally different thing. And he, and he says also, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. It'll make you wise. The statutes of the Lord are right, 
rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, than much fine gold. And sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. So these are, these, this is the first of our weapons, and the first of our weapon is the Word of God. A second weapon, and I'll read a couple of verses to you back in the, in the New Testament again, is prayer. How many verses, how many places could we turn to in the, in the Scripture and talk about prayer as your privilege before God? Again, the, the dignity of causality that we have with God, that He's given us this right to ask Him to change things. And so James 5.16 says, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. You can, you can change the nature of a battlefield that, they, that earthly people cannot win and, can, and have nothing to do with. You can change the nature of it through prayer. It's an amazing thing. And then 1 Peter 3.12, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. He, his, he bends down with his, with his hand at his ear and says, let me hear what you're saying. That's how effective our prayers are. So we have the word of God. We have our prayers. You remember that we also have the Holy Spirit, don't you? And that the Holy Spirit lives within us. And the Holy Spirit then, then does things through us that the, that the power of God alone can do. Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Where do you get those in a battlefield today? But we're supposed to be like the meekness and gentleness of Christ, and it's the Holy Spirit that puts those things within us. So we have that, we have that weapon also. The Word of God, our prayer, the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to go with me to Romans 6, though, if you will, and look at a final one, because this will help us when we come back to Corinthians. Now, Romans 6, as Paul begins to apply what he's said in the first chapters in a beautiful way, what about this salvation that we have? And what about this life that we have as, as believers? You remember the threefold formula here, no reckon and yield? That uh, in verse 6, we are supposed to know something. In, in, in a nutshell, you're supposed to know that you're saved and know how that salvation works. Then reckon in verse 11, you're supposed to apply these things to yourself. But then in verse 13, he uses the word yield. Now I want you to notice this. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Now, when he talks about members here, he's talking about you and everything that you have, body, soul, and spirit, all of the members of your body, your mind, your thought process, your heart, your hands and your feet, everything about you are the members. Part of our weaponry is, is us. I, I often say... This is my space. <laughs> this, this body that I live in is my space. You have a space. That's what God's given you. It's your weapon in the warfare. So your members, he says here in verse 13, as, and you see the word instruments, and guess what the word is? Hopla. 
weapons, your instruments, what you have to offer from your physical being is a weapon in this warfare. So don't yield these weapons that you have, your members, I should say, as weapons. Yield them unto righteousness. Do not yield them unto unrighteousness, right? Those that are alive from the dead as your, uh, and your members, he says at the end of verse 13, as weapons of righteousness unto God. All right, now let's go back to Corinthians. And so with that in mind, we have weapons of warfare. We have things that we're supposed to be fighting with, whether it's the Word of God or the Holy Spirit, whether it's uh, our prayer life, whether it's the way we live our lives. All of these are weapons. Now, let's look again at our text, and we'll come back to the four points that I want to make this morning. So in verse, uh, chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians and verse 5, he, or excuse me, I have to go to verse 4. All of these are not carnal. The weapons of our warfare are not earthly things, but they are mighty through God. These things are powerful. Always keep that in mind. May I say to Faith Baptist Church, okay, we're young. We're small yet. We may remain small for a long time. We may be larger. We could be smaller. You know what? It doesn't matter in God's warfare. <laughs> because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal things. They are mighty things through God. You can accomplish them yourself. And a group of people together can accomplish them together. They are mighty through God. And then he mentions four things that we do with our weapons. And that's the four thoughts I want to give you. Number one, pulling down of strongholds. We pull down strongholds. The word pulling down literally means to throw down, to demolish, to conquer, to raise, not A-I-S-E, but R-A-Z-E. When, when a building is raised, what does it mean? It is destroyed down to the ground. You have this word, for example, in Luke 12, 18, where the man said, I will pull down my barns and build greater and there bestow all of my fruits. I'll pull down my barn is the same word that he uses here. I'm going to raise, I'm going to pull it down to the ground. I'm going to destroy this barn, and I'm going to build bigger barns. So that's the word Paul uses here. But we, there are strongholds that we can pull down and destroy. Just, just take them out. Now, what about that word stronghold? Actually, it's the only place the word is used in the New Testament, so it's kind of an unusual word, but it means a fort or a bulwark. Luther used both of those words, you know, in his famous song, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Well, God is like that, but there are fortresses in our lives that need to be raised there are things in our lives that need to be torn down. You can't do it with a, a physical sword. You can't do it with, with a physical weapon. It can only be done with these spiritual weapons that we've looked at. So what would those be? I, and by the way, 
I think it may be in these four things that Paul is going from the broader to the narrower. I, I, I think maybe he's going from the large things in our lives when we first got saved, the strongholds, down to the narrowest thing that we have, and that's the thoughts of our heart, which will be the fourth one. So let me suggest that, you know, when you get saved, everything has to change. <laughs> when you were a sinner before you got saved, you had a worldview that left God out. It might have been an atheistic worldview or an agnostic worldview, and you had no room for God in your life. You had everything figured out. You knew where you were going, and all of a sudden the Lord comes into your life, and that whole stronghold has to go, has to be pulled down. You have to reorient yourself now to God's will and what, and what God wants in your life. You had life's ambitions. You were going to get this job. You were going to make money. You were going to become famous. You were going to do whatever you're going to do. And all of a sudden now God says, but I want this for you. Now I'm your master and you're the servant. So this is what I want you to do. And everything changes. And that ambition that you had all of a sudden is gone out the door. And, and the self-life, just I live for myself. This is what I want. This is what I like. This is what I want to do and this is what I don't want to do. And all of that has to change. The, the bulwarks come tumbling down in our lives when we get saved. How does it happen? Well, one is you read the Word of God. And that weapon that you have begins to tell you that the love of money is the root of all evil. Why do you want to strive after that in your life? And the Word of God begins to tell you that the lust of the flesh takes you nowhere. Why do you want to do that? And that habit that you have is destroying you and your family. Why do you want to do that? And you read the Word of God and it begins to pull down those strongholds. Even your interest begins changing. How many testimonies have you heard of a husband or wife gets saved and comes home and says, Honey, uh, I accepted the Lord as my Savior, and, and this is changing in my life. She says, What? What did you do? How did that happen? Because the stronghold is being, and you don't have an interest in it anymore. Get the kids ready. We're going to church this Sunday. We're doing what? This is my interest now. This is what I want to do. It all changes. And very quickly in your life, you walk into the waters of baptism. You're standing there in a grave, waist deep in that water. And to, to picture the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you allow yourself to be placed into death, where if you were left there, you truly would die. But in that picture of death, the pastor brought you back up out of the water and said, you're raised to walk in newness of life now. And everything changes. Old things are passed away. All things become new. And so with the weapons of our warfare, we pull down those strongholds that were in our lives. All right, that's number one. And then let me also say, as we go to number two in verse five, casting down imaginations, that the word cast down is exactly the same Greek word as pulling down. And so I have it in the, the same way. You, we pull down, cast down, but it's really the exact same word, to throw it down, to raise it, to destroy it. Now you have the word imagination, or in the newer version, arguments. And that's okay because the word is uh, logismos. We get our word logistics from it. Uh, having to do with words or thoughts as it is here. And the Bible uses uh, the English word imagination in a great way. You know, before the flood of Noah, 
We're told that in the whole world, every imagination of the thoughts of men's heart was only evil continually. And God looked at that and said, I'll not have it. I'm going to destroy it. He, he literally raised the things of this world, didn't he? I'll not have that. And so we look at those thoughts and imaginations in our heart and we say they've got to go. They've got to be torn down. You know, of that word, let me remind you of, of a couple places that word thought or uh, logistics is used. Romans 2.15, which things show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or excusing one another. So the Holy Spirit comes into somebody's heart and brings conviction about their sin and exposes the thoughts of their mind and the thoughts of their heart, as the Bible would express it. Isn't that something? What, what did that before to them? Any earthly weapon at all? No. The weapons of our warfare came into a person's mind and changed his thoughts in a way that should be changed. It's used also, by the way, in... Um, in Acts 18, where uh, a, a man is giving a discourse against the Apostle Paul, and it says of him, a certain Jew, or excuse me, this is a different one of Apollos, a positive thing. He says, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, who was an eloquent man. I was thinking of the one where, uh, where the man is giving a discourse. But here, uh, Apollos is said to be a man of words, a man of thoughts. He's an eloquent man. He's a man of logistics. Well, how do we then pull down those kinds of imaginations or arguments or thoughts in our minds? You know, before you got saved, you had old imaginations. You had old arguments. Maybe you thought there was no creator to this world, but it just evolved out of nothing. You were taught that since you were a kid. You believed that. You didn't know any different. And all of a sudden you get saved. That's good. That's fine. I have the Lord as my Savior. And now you begin to read Genesis and other places in the Bible and you say to yourself, that old thought has to go. That just doesn't carry water anymore. There are old anti-Christianity biases and they're growing in our day. Well, you know, Christians are like this. You know, those right-wing fundamentalists and you know, those Bible-toting people and you know, those kind of, you know, legalistic uh, and, and all kinds. This is growing in our country and we're going to see more and more of it. How do we tear those things down? You become a Christian and you, have, you live in a country of bias against Christianity. There are caricatures too. Oh, hip, you know... Uh, uh, Christians are all hypocrites. You know they are. They go to church or like that, but they're not like that the rest of the week. Uh, Christianity is just a crutch, you know, a crutch that uh, some people have to have to get them through life. And you know those holy rollers, I mean, after all. And there's all kinds of caricatures of Christianity that once you get saved, they have to go. And the imaginations and the logistics of your mind, your arguments that you used to have don't hold water anymore. Because the weapons are tearing them down. And so these imaginations uh, have to go also. Let me go thirdly to the casting down of high things. Now, the word is implied a third time. So we're casting down imaginations and casting down every high thing. So uh, we use the same word again here. But notice he says... 
every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. How many things in this world exalt themselves above God? Exalt uh, Human beings do. Governments do. People do. There's all kinds of ways that we exalt things higher than God. And here the word is high things. You remember Romans 8 where, where uh, neither height nor depth nor any other creature can separate us from the love of God. How high is that? Well, there are high things in our lives that have to go, have to be brought down. How can, the, how can that happen in our lives? I mean, after all, uh, well, I like uh, Luke 18, 14 too. Everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. The word exalted is the same as this high thing. Everyone that makes a high thing out of himself, God will abase. It has to be brought down. It has to be destroyed. You know, those high things in our lives sometimes are hard to deal with. Some people have habits or addictions that they can't seem to get rid of. Some people have lusts of the flesh, and even after they're saved for a while, they wrestle and wrestle and wrestle to put those kinds of things away. Those kinds of high things exalt themselves against the very knowledge of God, and you know better than that. Some people have lifestyles and indulgences that they can't get, uh, seem to put away. And they know it's displeasing to God. They know God doesn't want us to live like that, but they keep going ahead and keep doing it because we're not using the weapons that will destroy them. These weapons that we have are there, and they should be there. So how do you pull them down then? How do you cast down those kinds of things? Yielding to the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit that now lives in you, which is one of the weapons of your warfare, He convicts you constantly. And whereas before you did that very thing, it never bothered you. <laughs> you just did it. Now you do that, and all of a sudden there's this new twinge inside of you and this conviction that comes to you, and you say, boy, that didn't feel right. <laughs> the Lord must not want me to do that. And you see the conviction of the Holy Spirit aligning with what the Word of God says, and you say, I've got to stop that. And what you do before used to be bring uh, 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 hatred toward the name of God. And they looked at your life and said, you know, what is that in your life? Maybe you were even a Christian. Somebody catches you doing something. What is that for a Christian to do? Lie like that or whatever. And so the very honor of God is at stake in your life, and you see that. And so you say in your mind and in your heart, I'm not going to bring dishonor to my God any longer. And so you stop it. You get, the Bible says we're ashamed of the old life. Those things that, we, we, that we, we used to do, we're ashamed of now. I wouldn't be caught doing those things I did before I was saved. I won't do those anymore. And so we cast down the high things. I've got one more, and that's number four. And he, and he comes down to the, to the smallest things, I think. We bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, he uses a different word here because we've had the word to pull down or cast down. And here he says, take captive. And it's an interesting word. I like these words. Uh, it, it's the word spear and the word captive put together in one word. <laughs> if you can picture in those old days, the man who won the battle has his spear and he's walking behind the guy that he took captive. And he said, go on, go on. And he's taking captive with the point of his spear. 
take captive every thought. It'd be, it's one thing, you know, to, to stop an old habit. It's, it's another thing to quit doing something you used to practice. But what about inside your head? What about inside your heart? No one else sees it but you and God. Who, who cares? Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, I, I want you to go back to chapter 2 of this book because this word thought is, is used five times in 2 Corinthians alone. And it's used in chapter 2 of Satan, verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices, his thought processes. Same word. Those are the kinds of thought processes we need to bring into captivity. We need to conquer with the spear. Then in chapter 3, verse 14, not far from that, it says, but their minds, speaking of the Jews who refused their own Messiah, their minds were blinded in the reading of the Old Testament. Their very thoughts had a veil over it. They couldn't see. They were blinded. Chapter 4, verse 4, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. Our mind blinded by this. And then in chapter 10 and verse 5, which is our verse, and then the fifth one is in chapter 11 and verse 3. I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. These thoughts of our minds need to be brought into captivity, and we need to put them to the spear and kill these. That expression of Jesus when he led captivity captive, it uses the same word. Can you see Jesus bringing this, uh, the things of this earth into captivity? He's done it. So what are these kinds of things? How about, how about pride, which we all struggle with? We're prideful creatures, aren't we? We're not humble. And yes, we're, yet we're supposed to be a doulos, a bond slave of Christ, and yet we have so many uh, uh, wishes of our own, our own pride, self-serving. This is what I want. This is the way I see it. This is what I think should be done. We even have our own fears, don't we? Well, I would do that, Lord. I'd serve you that way, but I just can't do it. In essence, we're afraid of it. We're afraid of what the Lord might ask us to do. We have those fears. And, and all of us have personal challenges. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes you think, I'm, just, I'm not cut out that way. I'm not made that way. And sometimes it's emotional. And, and we just can't seem to bring ourselves to it. We need to take those kinds of things into captivity, and we can. We learn humility in the Word of God. We learn humility by the Holy Spirit. By what God teaches us, we realize that we must decrease so that He can increase. And we become meek and gentle as the Lord Jesus Christ. We would have never thought of that before we were saved, but now we do. And you know what we find out also? Purity is easier than sinfulness. And purity is more joyful. Add to your faith virtue and to your virtue knowledge. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. That kind of purity has to be there first. Now, Faith Baptist Church, 
I say this to us. <laughs> we are the most powerful fighting unit in God's army. Not that any other church can't be also. I'm just saying. It doesn't take, it doesn't take a big number. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. We have weapons that this world knows nothing about. And the weapons that we fight with in our battle can conquer anything. I'm going to call us the army rangers of God's army. And I like to read about this, and we were talking about it yesterday at the house, but, you know, Normandy is one of those places when Deborah and Terry and I have been to England a number of times. We've never been able to go across to Normandy, and we want to see it. I, I, I like World War II history and, and so forth, and, and D-Day and the landing at Normandy is just an amazing thing, and I, I would like to see the very spot. But let me give you a little illustration from that time. You know, there were 150,000 allies that landed that day, the biggest uh, landing in history. 10,000 of them didn't make it off the beach. It's a lot of people dying on a beach. Well, at Normandy, between Utah and, and Omaha Beach, the beach comes out to a point like this. And on that point, 100 feet straight up, a cliff that goes straight up, is called Point du Hoc. And Point du Hoc is a place that they knew they had to capture first. Because sitting on top of Point du Hoc were 155 millimeter German guns that could turn to the right and left down Omaha Beach and Utah Beach and at the ships. They knew that had to be taken out first. And this was in the days of more hand-to-hand -hand combat than, than what we would be used to today. And so the first job of the, ranger, the Army Rangers going in of the 2nd and the 5th Battalion was they have to scale that cliff and take out those guns. Can you imagine those guns shooting at you, people standing at the top of the cliff shooting at you? They are going in with ropes and rope ladders to scale that 100-foot cliff and take out those guns so the rest of the men can land. The weather was so bad that day that all of the 5th Battalion got blown off course and weren't even close to it, and only half of the 2nd Battalion made it to that point. So in all, there were only 225 men that landed at Point du Hoc that morning. And when they're done, only 90 of them are alive. So these 225 men land in that boat and, and they come off in that water and some of them are dying in the water and some of them hit the beach, but they put those ladders up against the wall and they, they string those ropes up there and they begin to go up and it went like this. At 6.39 in the morning, they landed on the beach. At 7.05, they began climbing up that cliff. At 7.30, they were reaching the top of the cliff. And by 9 o'clock that morning, all of the guns were taken out. Why am I giving you that? Because those men could do what they did because they knew they had to do it, even though everybody else was blown off course. That was their job. And I'm telling you that Paul is saying to us, you are the army rangers. He's saying to every Christian, you have high places that need to be brought down. You have cliffs that need to be scaled. You can do it. You have the weapons to do it. And it doesn't make any difference how big or how small we are. It does make a difference 
what is inside us and how we use these weapons. And if we use them and we do these things, we are the most powerful fighting force in the world. Satan himself cannot stop us if we use these weapons. So let's do it. It's good that we're here, that we've had five years in this place. I hope if the Lord tarries, there's 50 and more years, but I hope we're faithful till the Lord comes in scaling those cliffs and bringing down those high places and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Stand now with me, if you will. As we stand, we bow our heads before the Lord in prayer, one of our weapons. We stop at the close of our services and we say to the Lord, Lord, speak to my heart because I'm in your army. I'm one of your servants, your soldiers, but I'm failing and I've been defeated time after time. And so we stop and we say, Lord, look at me and show me my weaknesses and pull me back to yourself. Help me to, to see my sin and confess it. Help me, Father, to see my weaknesses and ask for help. And that's why we stand and start or, or, or stop every service with this moment. Let's pray together. Now, Father, we are humble before you. Oh, that we could have the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Then we would be fighting with these weapons as we should. But we're selfish. We're quarrelsome. And we have our own direction too many times. Father, there are cliffs to be scaled. There are, there are castles to be brought down. And we all have them in our lives. Father, help us then with the weapons that you have given us to do that. And then may Faith Baptist Church be that, that unit of yours that can storm the beaches that are in front of us, where we are, where you've placed us, and bring honor and glory to you. So speak to our hearts as we sing May we open our hearts to you even where we stand and as we sing. Or, Father, if it's your will that we come and kneel here and burn some bridges behind us, then, Father, help us to do that. I pray that if there's anyone here that is not right with the Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't even know that they're a, a believer, that they would come as we sing and receive Christ as Savior. So, Father, bless in this time of invitation, this time of soul searching, that you might be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. As we